I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 127. Number 127. As we have gone through the uh, songs of ascent in the Psalms during our celebrations of the Lord's Supper over the past number of months, we come to the next one in order, Psalm 127, and it's a little different than the ones that we have been examining. Up till this point, the Psalms of Ascent have focused on God's deliverance, God's provision, the way God uh, leads His people forth in the midst of their enemies, in the midst of darkness. Well, now, in the five verses of Psalm 127, we see a slightly different tone. Listen. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so He gives His beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved of God the Father, because of Jesus Christ. Up until this point, the Psalms of Ascent have tied in beautifully with the Lord's Supper. When we talk about how God has delivered us in the past, and had He not, we would be without help. How... He is the one to whom we look when the mountains rise up filled with threats all around us. We, we can easily see how that relates to the Lord's Supper. But then we come to Psalm 127 and we ask what I did at the beginning of the week, last week. How does that relate to the Lord's Supper? But the thing is, all of the Psalms, all of them, speak of Christ. And so as I had the privilege of digging into this psalm over the past week, I was gratified. I was overwhelmed at the mercy of God that this psalm shows. And how that mercy is reflected. How that, the reliance on God that is demonstrated in this psalm, how that is reflected for us, displayed before us, In the Lord's Supper. So let's take a few minutes this morning to consider the theme of this psalm, which is that the home of the godly rests entirely in the blessing of the Lord. The home of the godly rests entirely in the blessing of the Lord. That's our theme. And it begins by showing how He is the one who establishes a secure home. The song begins... So memorably, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, it's talking about those who build a house. Clearly, that could speak of the the work of joining together sticks and mortar and plaster and all the rest that goes into building the physical structure of a house. But, But judging from the rest of the context of this psalm, it's not just talking about the physical structure of a house. It's talking about the whole domestic order. The people, the routines, the interactions, the education, 
As for me and my house, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. He's not talking just about the physical structure. He's talking about all that happens within that physical structure. And the psalmist inquires, what happens? What can we expect if it's not the Lord who builds the house, but merely the men, merely the husbands and wives, merely the people who dwell within? And the answer is clear. If that's the case, then they labor in vain who build it. The word uh, rendered vain there is not the same word that we see time and time again in Ecclesiastes, vanity. That means something that's, that's light, something that departs in a moment. But this one is a little bit more dark. This word means worthless, wasted, an empty effort. In other words... All that work that they put into building that house. All of the planning. All of the time. All of the schemes. All of the efforts and attempts and sweat that are poured forth. All of it is an absolute waste. It's for nothing. If it's not God who is doing the work for us and in us and through us. And then there's a parallel remark. Speaking about those who guard the city. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This speaks of those who are consumed with the work of protecting the place where they live. They train the militia. They stand guard on the walls. They send scouts out to provide an early warning. Or perhaps, perhaps they're trying to protect it from moral disaster. These are the ones who lobby the legislatures, who argue cases in court who inform the voting public. But again, what happens if the Lord declines to guard this city? Well, in that case, despite all of their vigilance, the enemy will infiltrate. Regardless of their absolute best efforts, the enemy will fight and their defenders will not be sufficient Despite all of their lobbying and and publicizing, wickedness will prevail. Unless God defends the city, the city is lost before the battle is begun. Because only the Lord, only the Lord is able to give success to the hand of the defenders. Only the Lord is able to turn the hearts of the people against evil. Only the Lord is able to provide for and protect the city. Now you see the message In those two clauses, right? It's really a simple message. The Lord, Yahweh, the the true God alone, is able to give success into the hands of His people. That's the message we must grasp. That's the lesson that is so crucial at the start of this psalm. Apart from Him, our absolute wisest plan will fail. Our greatest effort will fall short. And disaster is sure to befall us. The Lord alone is able to establish for His people the work of their hands. And yet seldom do we hear that message. Go to the nearest Barnes and Noble. Look up books on households and raising children. Books on the former will focus on building an effective budget or taking the time to declutter. Books on child rearing... Well, it'll talk about the psychological effects of different means of building up a child. It'll address staying sane, perhaps, while raising children. 
But always it will focus on what we do, on what we attempt, on our methods and means. Same with books about the protection of society, whether, whether the building of a city or of a community or a country or a culture. They'll focus on the tactics of men, the things that we need to accomplish. They'll deal with the day-to-day strategy, the, the details, really. They'll urge the development of skills, the casting off of vices, but what they won't talk about is the fact that unless God does the work for us, all of our efforts are wasted, all of our efforts are for naught. But that's the most important thing for us to understand. In the same psalm that called us to worship, the psalmist says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. When we trust in the flesh, when we trust in men, when we trust in ourselves, we're trusting in a losing proposition because we don't have the strength, the ability, the power, the wisdom to do it. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. That is where success lies. That is where hope is found. And now verse 2 adds to the theme. Again, we encounter that word vain. In the Hebrew, it's put right up front in a very prominent position. Vain. And then it describes three categories. Three kinds of individual. Three actions that are vain. That are wasted effort. Vain for you to rise up early. These are the folks that they need more rest. They're exhausted. But they just can't stay in bed any longer. They've got far too much work to do. Far too much to accomplish. They've got to get a jump on it. Likewise, those who sit up late, they take the same approach, but on the other end of the day. I can't go to bed. I've got way too many things uncrossed off on my list. And so they eat the bread of sorrows. That might refer to eating your bread or to earning your bread with sorrow. In other words, you, you struggle and you strive and you suffer in order to make the money that feeds you. Or it might refer to just being so stressed out. So overburdened by the work you've been given that you can't even enjoy the food before you. In every case, rising early, staying up too late, being too stressed to be nourished. Each of those cases represents a worthless pursuit. They won't profit those who embrace them. They're trying to get ahead. But what's that old saying? The the more I struggle, the more I strive, the more I get behind. And why? It's because they're relying on themselves. That ultimately is the message that's pounded into us in these opening verses. The psalmist isn't saying don't work. He's not encouraging a life of of sloth. No, the Bible encourages us to put forth our best efforts, to use our gifts to the utmost of our ability. But what he's saying here is do the work that you've been given to do by faith. Don't expect that your efforts are going to be sufficient. They won't be. There's too many things that you can't perceive. There's too many unaccounted for variables. And quite honestly, you're weak. Every one of us is way too weak to ensure success. So do your work. Exercise your your gifts. 
Take up those opportunities, but do it with your eye on the Lord, confident that He and He alone is able to bring you success, that He and He alone is able to establish the work of your hands, and especially that wonderful work of establishing your home and defending it from that which would destroy. God alone can make our work profit. God alone can make us rejoice in the work that He provides. Well, that's all fine and good, but where do we see Christ in that? Well, you see the message. Those who rely on themselves labor in vain. God alone can make our work effective. No matter how hard we try, how long we work, it's a waste unless God blesses it. So we desperately need God in order to establish and to protect, preserve our home, our family, our community. But the problem is we're all sinners. From the very start, says Ephesians 2, we're dead in sin. We're cut off from God. Romans 5 says we hated God at the start. And Romans 1 through 3 says that left to ourselves, we'll do everything we can to ignore His existence and to worship the creation rather than the Creator. So this message of the first two verses is a deep problem for the natural man because we won't do it. We can't do it. We will not pursue God. The only way we will is if He does it all. It's the same message, isn't it? The only way we will seek the God who alone is able to prosper us is if He shows us our need, if He softens our heart, if He opens our mind to the gospel, if He imparts faith into us, and if He holds us fast. The only way we can come to the Lord and trust Him is if He causes us to come to Him and trust Him. But if we do have Christ, if He has brought us to have faith in Him, But then we have exactly what Psalm 127, the first two verses, assures us of. He is the one who will provide for our home. He is the one who will protect our city. He is the one who will ensure that our labor is enough. In this world, our labor doesn't always seem that effective. We wonder if it will even stand. But to those who trust in Christ... 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain in the Lord because as we trust in Him, He preserves it. He provides through it. In this world, we endure slander and suffering. We face the slings and arrows not merely of men but of the evil one. But to those who trust in Christ, James 4 says, He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why will he flee from you? Because because you're in Christ and Christ has already defeated him. And when it seems like the work is so overwhelming that we can't even go to bed... We can't even enjoy our rest. We can't even enjoy that beautiful meal before of us because there's so before us because there's so much to do. Well, Jesus calls out to us in Matthew 11, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. It's only in Christ that our work is effective and that we, in the midst of it all, find rest. And that's what this sacrament shows us, isn't it? This meal stands as a vivid testimony that our God does what we can't. When the bread is broken and the wine is poured out, children, you see the suffering of Christ. How His body was broken. How His blood was poured out. Because He suffered the wrath of God for our sins, which would have destroyed us eternally. There's no way we could have suffered that, paid that price, and then gone to be with the... We couldn't do it. We could never pay enough. We could never suffer enough. But He did for us what we could never do. We were dead. And He gave us that which brings life. Through the Holy Spirit, through the Gospel, through Jesus Christ. And so just as our bodies need bread to fuel them, just as our hearts crave wine to rejoice them, so God provides Jesus to give us life, to give us joy, to give us the fullness of what He has promised. The Lord's Supper gives us the assurance for all who trust in Jesus that Psalm 127 teaches us to crave. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so we crave that the Lord would build our house. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So we pray that the Lord would watch over our city. It is vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, and almost every single one of you understands that. You've been overwhelmed, you've been absolutely undone, feeling like you just can't do all the things that are expected of you. And Jesus says, don't. Don't rely on yourself. Don't expect yourself to be sufficient. Look to me. I will nourish you. I will give you joy. I will set a table even in the midst of your enemies. And you have no need to fear. But only if we're in Christ. Only if we're trusting in Him. Well, that brings us to the second half of our text. And I have to admit, I always felt like this psalm was really kind of two somewhat related but not really stanzas. That just kind of got pushed together because they both talked about the home. But, but if we look at it more carefully, if we study this psalm, we find that the first half speaks of the construction and the conservation of one's home. The second half then turns to the blessings that arise out of that home. And all of it from God. You see, this, this is intricately related to what came to, at the start. And we see here that it is the Lord who supplies an enduring hope. And that's our second verse, or our second uh, point. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now that word, heritage, it's important. It sounds like that which we inherit, right? But the emphasis in the Hebrew is on the fact that it is given. It's a gift. It's something entrusted to you by the Lord. Often, oftentimes, that means what your parents have handed down to you. Your property, your riches, your reputation, or the promises of God that they taught you to trust in. 
That's your heritage. But it doesn't have to be something that came through your parents. It can be something that God gave directly to you. The, the gifts that He's entrusted to you. The opportunities He sets before you. And in this case, the children which He brings into your home. Children are a gift given uniquely by the Lord. By the one true God. When God first created man, He said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And later, speaking to Abram, God assured his servant, I'm the one who will give you that which will multiply you. Your fruitfulness will come as my gift. First, the child of promise. And then the multitude of children who will come after that. And so it is for us today. The children who inhabit our homes, who sit beside us in the pews, they're not just the result of biological processes that are unguided and undirected. No, they're not just the outcome of our good planning. Not at all. They are God's gift, every one of them, entrusted specifically to the parents to whom they've been given and the congregation among which they are nurtured. That's why God says the fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are not something which we have earned. They're a gift given graciously by our God who loves us. We couldn't earn these precious little ones. We couldn't even begin to repay God, to begin repaying God for the blessing they are. I mean, consider what a blessing your children are. These little ones, they're made to reflect God Himself. They're the ones whom God will use to spread the kingdom throughout the world. And God entrusted them into your care. What a privilege that is. What an amazing gift. Now pause there a minute, because... That's countercultural. For much of this culture, kids are at best an entertaining but usually inconvenient distraction. And so they want children on their terms. When the mother and the father are established and comfortable and prepared. When the children won't interfere with their careers, their goals, their social life. And then they want specifically the number they want, just one or just two or at the most just three. And if a child is conceived at an inconvenient time, well, well, then they'll celebrate the freedom to destroy that child. That's evil. It's wicked. And woe to us if we don't stand earnestly and passionately against that evil. But, but... Let us not stand against abortion while at the same time embracing its underlying attitude. The attitude that sees children as an inconvenience. The attitude that sees me and my pursuits and my plans as more important than these gifts that God entrusts to us. Instead, let us recognize wholeheartedly, eagerly, anxiously, joyfully, Let us recognize that each one of these children is a precious gift from God Himself. He is the one who knit them together in the womb. He is the one who gave each one His particular gifts. He is the one who put together each one of her features. And He said each child in the home that would most properly nurture and nourish and guide that child. Equipping this child to serve the Lord. Using this child to equip the parents to better serve the Lord. So my friends, we need to celebrate the children among us. 
Don't grumble about the noises they make, the distractions they provide, but, but smile at them and love them and hug them and thank God for them every time they wiggle or stretch or dash out to the restroom. Because just look in verse 4 and 5 how God has ordained to use these children as a rich blessing for us. He speaks of the children of one's youth. So often God gives children in youth because when we're young, we don't need as much sleep. And maybe we have just, just a bit more energy. Because those children that are going to become a quiverful, they often begin as a handful, don't they? So God gives them in our youth. And He says, they are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I want you to think about that. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Arrows are a fascinating part of the ancient warrior's weaponry. They're not absolutely, or they weren't absolutely necessary for a warrior. He could go into battle with just his sword or just his battle axe. But a bow and arrows increased his power and his effectiveness. Arrows made it far more likely that warfare would bring success because they were a weapon designed to go forth and to convey his power at a distance. The sword, the axe, you had to keep those close at hand. But by the arrow, you could convey your power at a distance. You could gain victory from afar. And that's what children are for those who are godly and receive them as gifts. They make us more effective. How is that? Have you ever noticed that children, your children are a mirror? They are, in some cases, a mirror that show you some of the best gifts that you've been given. That's wonderful. That's a great reminder of how God has blessed you. But, but at least for me, far more, they're a mirror of where I fall short in two ways. I find that the things that annoy me the most about my children are the things that end up annoying me most about myself, right? The temptations, the difficulties that they have are the ones with which I have always struggled. And at the same time, then I see them taking up things, habits that I have embraced without knowing it until I see it in them. And so children serve to sharpen us. Just like arrows. You know, a warrior couldn't grab a bow and arrows and go out into the field and expect to do well with them. No. I haven't bow hunted for years because I don't have the time to practice to make myself good enough to even take a bow out in the woods. You don't just pick up a bow and go. You have to practice endlessly before you can become proficient at it. And so a parent who would be a good and godly parent who would have children who are arrows well sharpened for the battle must prepare himself, must strive to be discipled, must strive to show forth the image of God. Because if he doesn't, his children won't. But if he does, if he takes time to sharpen his own skills, what he's also doing is sharpening the tips of his arrows, ensuring that they'll hit the mark. And look at the result when he takes the time to prepare them well. When he takes the time to equip them properly to be sent out into the world. To be sent out into the battle on behalf of the Lord. 
The twofold result, happy is the man who has his quiver filled with them. He shall not be ashamed. That warrior is ashamed who arrives on the battlefield empty-handed. Or who shows up in battle with a bow that he's never tried. That's Remember the story of David and Goliath. He, he put on Saul's armor. And he picked up his great sword and he said, I can't go into battle with these. I've never tested them. That's the soldier who is ashamed. That means our children don't raise themselves, right? We have to raise them. We have to disciple them. And kids, you have to be patient with us because you don't come with owner's manuals. And we're trying to figure it out right along with you. But God's giving us instruction and He's using us. And and as we disciple our children, we won't be ashamed. They will care for us and we will care for them. And we will see them serving the Lord more faithfully than we were able to serve. And we'll see them using the gifts God has entrusted to them and our hearts will will swell knowing that, that we didn't do that. That God chose to work through us to nurture and build up these amazing children God has entrusted to us. He will not be ashamed. But instead, they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. That's actually an interesting phrase. Because you don't meet your enemies in the gate to do battle with them. You do that out in the field. Or if things really went badly, you do that in the middle of the city. But in the gate... That's the place you meet when your enemy sues for peace. They see all the warriors in the, or all the arrows in the hands of the warriors and they say, nope, we better not start this battle. Just think how God uses our children to provide in the midst of battle for us. How they help us physically when our bodies weaken and grow fail, or grow, grow frail. How how they fill us with joy as they surround us with grandchildren who serve the Lord. How they keep the church faithful as it goes forth to make disciples of the nations. How they mold and shape society in a way that is honoring to our King. But only, only, they will do that only if we have raised them as those entrusted to us as gifts from God. And listen, this isn't merely about our here and now situation. As I said, ultimately this psalm and every psalm points to Jesus. The Bible shows us that Jesus is the ultimate warrior. In Revelation 19, he is described as a mighty warrior who sits on a white horse. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood with his name called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out from his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Jesus is the true warrior. The one who fights all our battles for us. And we, we are the children. The arrows in His hand. Hebrews 2 says that He became one of us as a son among the siblings. And 1 John 3 
It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Beloved, we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like Him. That means we are the arrows in His hand. We and also the children He's entrusted to us. We are those whom He sharpens that the world might feel, experience, encounter Him through us. He sends us out to do battle. Fighting the devil and his horde, and by the strength he bestows, we all together are to bring honor to our king. Brothers and sisters, remember that as you partake of the supper. This is a meal set before you by your heavenly Father. Through Jesus, his Son, he has provided precisely what you need, what nourishes body and soul alike for his children. And here with us sit our children. Watching, listening, learning, wrestling with what it means to be a child of God. They are the arrows in His hand tomorrow. As He sharpens them through the truth that you teach. As He strengthens them through the nourishment of Christ. As He guides them by the Spirit whom He sets within them. So teach them to trust in Him. To trust their Father who guides them rightly. To trust in Jesus who gave His life that they might live. To trust in the Holy Spirit who continues to strengthen and to sharpen and to send them forth. And if you teach them, God will bless that teaching. God will ensure that your work is not in vain. And these children who have been entrusted to you will grow up by His strength to love and serve the Lord our God. Beloved sons and daughters of God, we like to think, we all do, we like to think what we thought as children. I can do it myself, but we can't. None of us can. Whether it comes to building a physical house or building up a household, protecting a city from Enemy invaders were protecting a city from the evil and wickedness of sin. All of our striving, all of our effort is insufficient. But as you partake of this sacrament before you, remember, you do not and cannot provide what you need. God does. And He loved you enough to provide what you ultimately needed by sending His Son to die that you might live. Remember that. Turn your face to Him. Teach your children, whom He has entrusted you, to turn their hearts to Him. And He will receive the glory that He deserves. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, You are indeed the One who provides exactly what we need and what we cannot live without. We pray that You would strengthen us through the Word that You've proclaimed and through the sacrament that You've set before us. That we and our children after us might learn to trust in You and You alone to make our work effective. That we might serve You truly. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.